May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the same event. And each of these three synoptic gospel writers also record another event within this event. And of course, I'm talking about that which we heard in our gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 9 with the healing of the synagogue ruler's daughter and the healing of the woman with the issue of blood. And what the gospel writers give to us to see is two different people approaching Jesus that day and at that same time. And both are opposite ends of the extreme. First is the the ruler of the synagogue. Matthew doesn't tell us his name, but Mark and Luke do. His name was Jairus, coming from the Hebrew name, which means he enlightens. And as the scriptures tell us, he was a ruler of the synagogue. Synagogues were like local Jewish centers back then, stemming from the period of the exile when there was no central temple. Synagogues were established in different geographic areas, and it was there that you could worship and you could learn on a regular basis. And it's actually from the synagogue model that we get our parish model and worship within the context of the church. So Jarius is a ruler of this particular Jewish synagogue. He was the one responsible for arranging the teaching and the service schedule. He was in charge of all the details of everything that went on. And as such, he was respected among the people. He was a faithful Jew and a man of authority in the eyes of all. Now, as Jesus goes with Jairus to his house, another situation happens and another character comes on the scene in the story. A woman touches Jesus' garment and she is healed. And those of you who were here about five or six years ago may remember me preaching a sermon and a handout about the touching of the shawl or the the talit of Jesus that he wore. She had an issue of blood for 12 years. And so as not to go into too much detail about that, but yet not avoiding it since the Bible doesn't avoid saying it, she had a blessed blood discharge in a womanly way. And that constant discharge made her unclean. The law stated that a woman whose monthly cycle was upon her had to be separated. And there was a lot of hoopla that went on to be ceremonially clean afterwards. And the idea and reasoning behind this is that the blood which is shed from a woman in her regular cycle means that there's a death. Or I should say a lack of life. I'm not going to explain the reproductive system today, but those who do understand it understand that concept. The shedding of blood from a woman means a lack of life and death, if you will, in the womb. And so the law said that she was cast off. She was unclean and she was separated by this blood. But we're told that this wasn't the normal monthly cycle. This woman's issue never left her for 12 years. Now, if the physical aspects of that don't get you, then the societal ones would. 
So what we're presented with on the one hand is this socially accepted ruler of the synagogue, holy and blameless, if you will. And then there's this other woman, bleeding and outcasted, lifeless, if you will. Two opposite ends of the extreme, but both are in desperate need. One for herself, the other one for his daughter. And both end up breaking their positions in life to seek the help of Jesus. Jarius was breaking his societal position, approaching Jesus for help. I mean, imagine the scene. The people are watching as this ruler comes and he falls down before Jesus, begging at his feet. Shouldn't he have approached Jesus and demanded that he come from his position of authority? He was a ruler of the synagogue. Jesus, come down to my house now. Is what he should have said. Furthermore, we must remember that the Pharisees and other Jewish rulers were none too happy with Jesus. At this point, they weren't completely against Jesus, but their feathers were certainly being ruffled by him. And so for the ruler of this synagogue to approach Jesus as his hope, well, that may not have been the best thing for Jairus to do. But instead, he resorts to begging. His need is greater than his position. His love for his daughter is greater than his love for the law. His hope in Jesus is greater than the demand from the pharisaical pressures. And so he begs Jesus, please, 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 Jesus. Come to my house and heal my daughter. Likewise, we see this woman breaking her societal position. She shouldn't have been in the crowd to begin with. She should have been separated from them. But in an almost opposite fashion, yet similar fashion to Jairus, she thinks that if she could just touch Jesus' garment, she'd be whole. She knew what she was doing. She couldn't do this out in the open. And she knew that if she touched Jesus himself, he'd be richly unclean. So she only wants to secretly and discreetly, under the cover of the crowd, touch his garment. And I imagine that during this scene, as Jesus recognizes that someone has touched him, and as Jesus then enters into discussion with this woman, that Jairus must have been standing behind Jesus, chewing his fingernails and tapping his foot. This was a distraction. This was a delay. This was an unnecessary stop in getting to Jairus' daughter, where every single minute mattered, where every single second mattered. And if we doubt that each moment of this story mattered, then we do well to keep reading the story. Because while this delay is happening, news arrives that Jairus' daughter has died, or at least appeared to die. Can you imagine Jairus? The scriptures are silent about it, but I wonder if Jairus was like Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, if we didn't delay with this woman, my daughter would be alive. But yet on the flip side of that same thought, there is this confirmation, perhaps, of Jairus' faith in seeing this and in Jesus' declaration to her. 
As this unclean woman, this nobody in society, touches just the hem of Jesus' garment and is healed, how much would that strengthen Jairus' hope in Jesus? Even when he received the disastrous news that his daughter had died. Those are the two intertwined people in this gospel record. And in the gospel portrayal of Jesus, we discover Jesus being sought after and then healing both the ruler and the outcast, the top to the bottom, so to speak. And that's great news to us, too, isn't it? Jesus doesn't play partiality. In the chapter just prior to this in Luke, we find Jesus healing the Roman centurion's child. So we have a a Roman ruler. We have a ruler of the Jewish synagogue. And we have a Jewish unclean woman. All who seek Jesus and with whom Jesus personally deals. And this is the main theme that I latched on for today. When I read these lessons a couple of weeks ago in preparation. It's the theme of some of our hymns that we picked today. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear as we just sang. Or I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest as we'll sing at communion. Or sweet hour of prayer, as we'll also sing in communion. And that is the simple theme that I leave with you from the scripture today. For those who seek Christ, they will find. For those who ask, they shall be answered. For those who knock, the door shall be opened unto them. So let us turn unto Christ. Let us seek. Let us ask. Let us knock. Without ceasing. Knowing with full assurance that no matter our lot... No matter our situation, no matter our standing, Christ hears those who turn to him in faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.